Get ready to rumble. Shilling Show Unleashed on the Seven Thunders Media Network. Former city councilor, husband, father, and community watchdog. Your host, Rob Schilling. Welcome to the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Remember, your direct support makes our show possible, and you can directly support this podcast by visiting shillingshow.com and then clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page to make a monthly contribution. We appreciate your support. The Shilling Show Unleashed podcast welcomes Justin Hart, the chief data analyst and founder of rationalground.com, a COVID policy consultant and author of the new book, Gone Viral, How COVID Drove the World Insane. Justin Hart, good to have you with us today on The Shilling Show Unleashed. Oh, it was terrific to be with you. Would you tell us a little bit about Rational Ground and how that all got started? Yeah, look, I'm a consultant, uh, as I see in the outside of the book. I'm not a healthcare expert but I am a darn good data guy. and That's been my prowess professionally. Uh, when the pandemic started, I had a fantastic bout of clients. My main one was a golf excursion for baby boomers. Well, you, you can imagine how that fared as the pandemic took <laughs> off. Uh, so I had some time on my hands. Uh, when we looked at the data, we quickly realized something was amiss. Dr. Fauci is sitting in front of Congress saying that one out of 100 people will die from the disease. But we look at the data coming out of China, out of Italy, out of across the world, and we say their dead numbers are wrong. So I get together with a bunch of experts, and we put together this ragtag group of people called Rational Ground. And uh, we're off to the races trying to basically quell some really ridiculous fears that are stemming policies, these interventions that are hurting a lot of people, especially our kids. When we ran the numbers, we realized there's a 10,000-fold difference between someone who dies at the age of 80, which is the average age of COVID, and yet our kids are carrying the burden of this with masks and stay-at-home orders. What a ridiculous session. It's been a very, very difficult thing. But we realized that was the, the sort of the basis for Rational Ground, to just quell that entire piece and, and bring some rationality of this discussion. Justin, it's really interesting that you mentioned fear in, in talking about this. And there was a lot of fear. And I remember very distinctly seeing videos coming out of China, supposedly with uh, dead bodies on the ground and, and uh, crews surrounding them or people kind of twitching and twerking and falling dead on the ground. And this really, I mean, for people who saw those, it was a very fearful thing. How do we get past the initial fear and get into rationality? Because that's hard to get out of your mind. I think part of it is just trying to uh, understand that the interventions that they foisted on us really did very little. Now, people have come to that realization on their own. We all know that after wearing two years of these cloth face masks, they really don't do anything. Uh, We all know that social distancing really uh, was kind of awkward and didn't have any measurable distance there. We know that our kids are mostly safe and that the trade-offs of our kids being closed out of schools are not worth it. So people are coming around to that realization very quickly. The book is really designed for them, kind of those people who are just starting their journey back and trying to understand, did we really go through that craziness, right? So the book's titled Con Viral, How COVID Drove the World Insane, uh, is really a capture of all of the history of this, but it's also built up with a, a set of myth-busting chapters. Uh, it takes every single piece of the element of what they told us and try to breaks it down, both in the data, but also stories 
Um, you know, so for example, everyone experienced that run on TP, right? And mm-hmm. where did that come from? How did that happen? Well, turns out, you know, you and I and the rest of the world do half of our business, if you will, at our businesses, right? And when you shut down businesses, all of a sudden the TP industry had to like scramble and try to find ways to get things uh, geared so that they could make more production for domestic products, right? And that caused a huge chaos. And that was just one industry. So we go through those particular really interesting things about uh, industries and what happened there. But we also talk about the real deadly effects of this. We think that in the spring of 2020, we missed about 50% of cancer diagnoses. Those were the the first people to raise the alarm with us, really, because the oncologists would come to us and say, either COVID has cured cancer or something else is happening altogether. Because they were seeing half as many patients as they were the previous year, not because people didn't have cancer, people were too scared to go to the doctor. And that had real implications. The use of fear was just a tool that really put the boot to the neck of the American people. And then, you know, you see how that affected our kids. Uh, Just one stat, it kind of cuts across any political boundaries. People understand it. It's undeniable. We believe that in the spring of 2020, across the nation, we probably missed 200,000 potential incidents of domestic abuse. Why? because it's typically sharp-eyed teachers and administrators who catch those things and kids weren't in school. You know, this goes kind of to the overarching picture of missing the costs of intervention. You do talk about this in the book, but every one of these areas, economic, social, educational, uh, it all had a cost. Why was our brilliant society that has a lot of smart people unable to ascertain in advance that we ought to be looking at what are the costs of what we're doing? Our team was the main backbone for Scott Atlas, you know, the yes. uh, consultants who came in, Dr. Scott Atlas from Stanford, and he was an expert in applying science to public policy. He had no help there at the White House. He approached us and said, what can you do? Pro bono, we produce charts and data, anything he needed on a daily basis, we'd help create. When it came down to it, I asked him one time, I said, listen, you've been so good at presenting the other side of the equation. Why haven't they changed course? Why aren't they changing policy? And my thought was, well, Dr. Adams, maybe they're just having trouble saving face. And he said, no, these people are not smart, Justin. These people are dumb. I said, oh, no. So there is a bit of ineptitude in this whole thing. I think there probably is a bit of saving face. Um, but I think that's kind of where it stemmed from is they really, they didn't use the other side of the equation. These are people who haven't seen a patient in 30 years. And we gave up the entire keys to the kingdom to them. These weren't economists. There was no child psychologist consultant. There was no fluid specialist to talk about the effects of masks. They just, they saw these interventions done around the world and said, hey, we could do that too. It really was embarrassing in many ways. And when the fallout happens, it's going to come out. There's going to be a lot of transparency. There's a changing of the guard here in the next week or so from the election. I have it on good authority. There's going to be some hearings. You know, Justin, you mentioned the toilet paper shortage, and we all observe that. But there are also a lot of food shortages. But the food shortages have been ongoing. In fact, we've seen the price of eggs go from, uh, I could buy eggs here for less than 50 cents a dozen at the local Aldi. And now the cheapest eggs I can get are 2 or maybe $3 a dozen. And a lot of other things are short, and uh, they don't seem to be bouncing back, uh, empty shelves and so forth. So what happened to all of that? I mean, we could explain some of it away with the uh, the commercial diversion problem that you mentioned for toilet paper, but what happened to all the food? Part of it is really interesting is that these interventions 
would just have this massive trickle-down effect. So you remember all of the uh, shipping containers that were held off the coast of L.A. and other places forever, and how they just line up and line up, and they couldn't get them off there. Everything was piling up and backing up. One of the reasons for that is that there weren't enough people trained as crane operators to get them off. Why weren't they trained? Well, California had a, a mandate in place uh, that you couldn't have two trainees in the same cabin at the same time. So all these trainees basically were learning this on some virtual machine, failing their tests, couldn't find enough staff. And that's one of the reasons why all those big containers offshore just stayed there and went to Stalin and why you couldn't get you know, your cable or anything else that you were ordering from overseas. Uh, that's one reason. But the other reason is just we created this massive panic and people started hoarding in some ways. Uh, things started getting a very political. If there was a need for major shortages here, we completely overcompensate. We're just very, very bad at these sort of panic moments, especially when we haven't planned out. We learned a lot during this time if we were open to it. And uh, one of them was this phrase, trusting the science. And you talk about that in the book pretty extensively. But we've been taught that the science is infallible and we should trust, quote, the science. Where were we wrong on that? Part of the reason was they, they really didn't trust the science themselves mm. or they didn't really consult to the science. That's the, the strange thing where basically they would they, they'd have these interventions, but they'd have no data to back it up or they'd have one random study that they'd throw to there. Dr. Atlas would tell us he'd go into these meetings, he'd have stack of piles of new studies that were coming out and he'd try to convey, you know, here's what this one is saying, 78% of colon cancers are being missed, 50% of child immunizations for other, for other vaccines are being missed, and they would just wave them off. They've never even heard of them. They lived in their own bubble and they made their decisions based on that. Um, also, they were more interested in a lot of things. All these FOIA emails would come in. We'd get these requests, and we'd be able to see what Dr. Fauci was emailing about. At one point, he was talking via email with his assistant as to who would play him in the star-studded movie. Would it be Brad Pitt, right? Their interests were elsewhere. These are politicians, not people who had any serious public policy application experience. So we had the same issue with specialists or experts, and they would point out people like Dr. Fauci or Dr. Burks or one of the others and say, that is the foremost expert. That's the one we're trusting. While there were plenty of other people who had contrary opinions, but we were not to listen to them. Yeah, the censorship went far and wide. In fact, we now know I, I've been able to sue the government, my account and the accounts of my colleagues, a hundred of my colleagues were all taken down. Uh, suspended or quelled in one way or another on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter. Uh, Twitter was one of our main channels. And the reason was that it went against the narrative. Well, we now know, and they admitted basically over the White House pulpit, uh, Jennifer Saki last year in July, along with the Surgeon General Vivek Murthy, they admitted that they were working in tandem with Facebook and Twitter to cause out what they saw as balls and strikes and fouls and they would have Twitter and Facebook take these down. Uh, from the FOIAs, the request for information that I've received back, we've actually gotten that they've had BOLO meetings, be on the lookout meetings weekly with Facebook, with Twitter saying, here are the types of posts that we want taken down. And a lot of us got caught in that dragnet. From another lawsuit, we learned just last week that there was an actual portal that the DOJ, that HHS, that the CDC could use to go in there and flag different accounts or different posts that they didn't like. Uh, as a perfect example, my lawsuit uncovered 
that there was a, a particular post on Instagram and on Facebook and on Twitter that was about the vaccine throwing off a woman's menstrual cycle. They didn't like that out there. They quelled it. They closed those accounts. They, they pulled down those posts. They marked them. It turns out that was 100% accurate. They now all admit it. In fact, it's one of the adverse effects that's really prominent with the vaccine. And at the front, they didn't want any conversation about it. This is so troubling because I know a lot of people like you uh, who had these things shut down. I had my own interviews with Dr. David Martin or Dr. Robert Malone uh, thrown off of YouTube as violating their standards. So this is more of a big picture policy question, but what are we to do about that or do we just have to live with it? Well, I, I think part of it is you have to have that transparency. You have to have sort of this COVID on trial. Maybe it's the trial of Dr. Fauci and the docket. I'm not sure. Uh, but you need to have that transparency. Here's a case in point. Dr. Fauci and his former boss, who just retired, Director Collins of the NIH, they set the policy for all of these COVID interventions. But here's the thing. On the other side of the equation, they were also approving the grants, the billions of dollars that NIH gets to all the studies across the country and across the world. What were the chances of your study getting approved if it might just might counter the narrative that they've implemented? We have to cut that chain between who sets the policy and who gives out the money. That's completely untoward. There was a big issue, and this was discussed a lot, at least in the alternative media, about the concept of dying with versus dying of covid I'd love for you to explain that a little bit and also if there was a financial incentive for that distinction. My team was one of the few teams that was actually able to get in and view. This was in the summer of 2020 uh, from uh, Governor DeSantis. He allowed us to review 800 death certificates that were caused or were noted as uh, COVID on the death certificate as well. It was redacted to personal information, but we were able to dig in there and find a lot of crazy things. 86-year-old female, fall from height, broken femur, diabetes, tested positive for COVID, COVID death. And we saw at least 30% of those were just like that. And another half of those were really lazily put together. Now, if I look at the hospital administration, you are absolutely right. There were massive incentives to be as broad as you could in identifying who was a COVID hospitalization, who was a COVID ICU patient, who died from COVID. My kindest interpretation of that, here are these hospitals and the government just shut down the most profitable parts of your business, those elective surgeries, right? And so if you're a hospital administrator worth your salt, you're like, I gotta keep my place in business. So you're looking for anything you can do. That's my kindest interpretation. On the other side, I'm sure there was some bilking going on. We know that, for example, we talked about this in the book. In October of 2020, they were able to convince the government to change sort of the parameters on who could be considered a COVID patient. So that if you went to the ER and it looks like you kind of had COVID, maybe you were testing positive for it, they put you in an observation bed. That could count as an inpatient, someone in the hospital. So they were able to get $9,000 for that. But again, it was a scramble, and um, it's hard for me to fault a lot of the hospital people who are basically working on the onus of these terrible guidelines. Justin Hart is our guest here on The Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. We continue in a moment. Associated Press award-winning journalist, Rob Schilling. 
BorderHawk.News is a one-stop shop with the latest news about immigration, nationalism, and globalism. The BorderHawk staff daily curates immigration news stories and, in the fashion of the Drudge Report, updates the site with cutting-edge content and original first-class commentary. BorderHawk.News highlights national and international media reports, tweets and nuggets buried in local news blurbs, polls, video clips, and policy research. BorderHawk is pro-legal immigration, pro-rule of law, but against an unsecure border as countless Americans have suffered violence at the hands of criminal illegal aliens. And an increasing number of Americans are concerned about how mass migration affects their daily life. BorderHawk.News will remain on the forefront of the immigration issue with a buffet of info to read, evaluate, and share. Bookmark BorderHawk.News. Add them on social media at BorderHawkNews on Twitter. Get your fix. Shilling Show Unleashed. We continue now with Justin Hart. The new book is Gone Viral, How COVID Drove the World Insane here on the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. I want to go to the children. We've referenced it early in the conversation, and you referenced this resiliency myth that, uh, oh, children can just bounce back. You know, we can pull them out of school. We can do all these things. We can forcibly mask them, and everything will be just fine because children are resilient. What's the truth? Yeah, the truth is that our kids have lost thousands and thousands of hours of learning. You know, they say it takes about 10,000 hours to become an expert at anything, a violist, a computer science nerd, anything else that just brings that expertise into bear that helps you the rest of your life. Our kids literally over the course of a year and a half lost 2,000 to 3,000 hours of learning. Um, we know that a third of all students in the L.A. Unified School District never showed up for a single Zoom class. And now you see the results. We have 30-year lows for our ninth graders in math. We have massive implications, especially for those uh, states where I am in San Diego and California, where there's a massive shutdown and lockdown of our students. Uh, I remember my own daughter. She was in preschool. I talk a lot about this and how the, the teacher would come up to us and she'd say, I'm so sorry, these kids. They're going to have a tough time in kindergarten. Try teaching your kid how to pronounce the letter H through a mask. Mm -hmm. Now, you and I, you know, we're adults. We're going to deal with the implications of lockdowns and social distancing and fear mongering and everything else there. We may do that in the ballot box very quickly here. But on the other side of the equation, our kids don't have that luxury. Uh, We need to have these hearings. This book is really my testament to my kids to demonstrate that I did everything I could to make sure that they stayed in school. So we realized that this was very damaging, but what do we do about it? What I've seen, Justin, is that there's just a lot of lowering of standards, whether it be at the state level in testing or at the school level in grading, or whether it's going to be at a higher level and that we're just not going to require tests to get into universities anymore and just graduate people anyway. That certainly can't be a long-term solution. Yeah, it's very difficult. I, look, I have, um, I have eight kids wow. and they span a lot of ages. Uh, kind of a Brady Bunch scenario, wow. but my stepdaughter, who was uh, 16 when the pandemic started in her junior year, I was devastating for her. Really smart girl, 1480 on the SATs. But then the judge come down and says, you know, it's completely unfair that we use SAT testing during the pandemic to apply into the school system here in California. What did we do, right? What was all that time spent and lost? So, you know, the, the, I think what's going to happen is these standards are going to ebb and flow because teachers hate to have failing grade students. We know from inside information uh, that, that was given to me that our failing grades across the country 
rose by like 300, 400, in some places, 900%, the number of failing grades that you would see across the board with the student body. Um, this is not going to be solved overnight, and we need to realize that this never happens again. That's really our main goal now is we're shifting gears. We have all the evidence. We need to bring some transparency to light and make sure that something like this never happens again. I'd like to talk about some of the social aspects of this. And I want to start with this one because we kept hearing it over and over and over again. Hey, we're all in this together. Uh, Where was the fallacy in that statement? I think part of the problem was understanding that they treated everyone in the same way, right? We know that the risk for an 80-year-old is the highest. The risk for a kid is the lowest. And yet they all had the same policies. In fact, for our kids, it was even more stringent policies. We certainly were not in this altogether. Uh, I would just think about the scenario, which was we know that the the key comorbidities, uh, we all have all these great new Scrabble words we can add to our vocabulary, right? (laughs) These key comorbidities, uh, that is the the ailments that you might have that might indicate a, a worse bout if you happen to get COVID were obesity and lack of vitamin D. And so when you think about it, like whose policy was it to stick us all inside out of the sun, eating takeout and putting on, you know, those COVID-19 pounds. Right. And, and, and it really was a devastating thing across the board. What we should have done was a focused protection of those who are most vulnerable in society and let everyone get back to work and work everything else out. Um, But the devastation was, you're right, there were people, for example, that were perfectly fine being the laptop class where they could work from home. A lot of families pulled up stakes and said, we'll go vacation for a year, right? Uh, There were people that couldn't afford that. As I mentioned, you know, it wasn't necessarily this nefarious sort of tailgating where these kids would scramble out of school at the LA Unified School District, a third of all students not showing up for a single Zoom class. It was probably because mom had to work anyways, because she was an essential worker and the kids were left to their own devices. Another phrase that really got me, because I was personally involved in a lawsuit against our governor here in Virginia regarding forced masking, but this was the, you wear your mask to protect me and I wear my mask to protect you. Boy, that one got under my skin. Yeah, this is a really difficult one. It's the most visible one, obviously. What was crazy is there were, as we say, about 10 RCTs, random controlled trials. This is the gold standard for science, where you have one group that tries something and another group that has placebo, and then you try to figure out you know, which one did better. Well, we actually ran several studies, one of them within a hospital setting, where all the staff wear surgical masks and the other set of staff didn't, and it didn't change the transmission of influenza one bit. We knew at the beginning these masks didn't work, and yet they became a control mechanism. I think our health overlords somehow pictured that this was a tool that our politicos could use. You know, the governor gets up there and says, cases are getting up. Why aren't you masking? Mm. And then they come up and say, cases are going down. Thank you so much for masking. It also caused a huge amount of problems. I mean, how many cases of abuse do you think we missed because mom's face was covered when she dropped the kids off at drop-off there at the schools? Devastating consequences for this because it's a psychological thing, and it became this sort of universal virtue signal as well, where you know you wore it and you were a good person, and if you didn't wear it, it was literal murder. You were going to murder grandma there. Crazy thing, it took the climate change activists about four decades to convince us that what we exhale was going to kill the planet. 
Look, it only took about four weeks to convince us that what we exhale was going to kill grandma. We succumbed to this so quickly, and that's a big another story about how the general populace really should have stood up, and we didn't. Well, that's a big question, and it's very frightening to people uh, that I know that are in my listening audience, is that we rolled over so quickly. This is kind of antithetical to what at least we thought the American spirit was. I understand the feeling, my kindness interpretation. There are about 20% of people like myself and your and your audience who are just out there going, I know this is wrong. I'm going to rely on the Constitution. I want my freedom of assembly, freedom of speech, freedom to practice my religion, my, my pursuit of happiness. There was another 20% on the other side of the equation that were, as we call them, team apocalypse. The sky is falling. This variant will kill the world. The other 60% in between that kind of went along with the gang I understand the feeling, which is I really don't want to get into the fight, especially if someone's life is on the line. But I think what we have to understand is we have to build into our populace that understanding that you always, always go and back up to the Constitution. What are my rights? If someone's infringing on those, we cannot allow that to happen because crawling back and getting those rights back is really difficult. Another aspect of all of this was that we also were exposed to what I would call a snitch society, which I never thought America would become, in which people were turning other people in. The COVID Karens would sometimes call people out in a parking lot if they didn't have a mask on walking into a store. But it was far worse than that, where people were turning their neighbors in for meeting when they shouldn't be meeting too many people in the house and so forth. What does that say about our American society? Well, unfortunately, this is history repeating itself. A hundred years ago and the mask mandates they had in the 1918 pandemic, there were 3,000 people arrested in the Bay Area alone. Um, So those things happened back then, too. But even 400 years ago in Milan, Italy, and I talk a little bit about this in the book Gone Viral, uh, there was the plague, the actual, you know, plague that would kill one out of three people there. And uh, it was thought that foreign elements were coming into the city of Milan and were whitewashing walls and, as they put it, anointing the benches with infected water so that it would spread the disease further throughout the population. In the church one day, there was an old man. He was brushing off his pew before he sat down, and someone accused him of anointing the bench. The journal entry mentions how they take him outside and they beat him senseless. And the entry simply ends, I do not think he could have survived many moments longer. Think about all the altercations that we had with masks, social distancing, uh, not going up the right aisle in the right direction at a a supermarket, right? Just crazy nonsense. You can't imagine in the tame society. But what happens is that fear, and the author of this book talking about the plague says, the fear of the mind grasps them so much worse than the disease ever could. And I think that was what we experienced as well. You mentioned the church, and I want to bring it into the present time here, Justin. There was an attack on the church. Uh, Church is told, and I know there were a number of lawsuits in California. I've interviewed some of the pastors out there. But across the country, you can't meet. Uh, If you do, you must be masked. Uh, The choir can't sing. Was this an effort for the government to kind of get one up on the church and show who's actually in control here? Well, it's fairly obvious that when the churches are closed, the strip clubs are open, that something is amiss, right? Yeah. And uh, it, it was it was a crazy scene in L.A., for example, where every church was closed, in some cases padlocked, but all the movies could continue making their stick, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is something that we're going to look back on and feel very, very sour about, especially there were many churches, um, my own church, who acquiesced to a lot of this stuff and wouldn't meet for two years, did Zoom church. I have a picture of a priest, for example, for another church 
who's uh, standing about six feet away from his font. Uh, the, the, the mother of a new child in this great little outfit is standing six feet again away from the font. And he is holding a water gun to perform a baptism, right? As, uh, as the, book of the, the title of the book goes, uh, Gone Viral, how COVID drove the world insane. So many of those moments where you go, I can't believe that happened, right? Uh, and I, I think uh, we're going to look back and understand that part of our rights, and especially towards our kids, I know I had uh, kids, uh, too, who were in uh, their late teens, and it impacted religiosity as they didn't have that sort of body of Christ or anything else to sort of coalesce with. So where do we go from here? I mean, this certainly won't be the last dance. There'll be other things that come along. How do we best proceed? You hit it spot on. These tactics, these strategies are something that they're going to bring up again, either for the next wave of COVID, for the next pandemic, or for whatever other imagined boogeyman they might bring up, like climate change activism, right? They've understood now that we will obey and get under their thumb. The World Economic Forum indicated just the other day they were super pleased about this test. I don't believe they unleashed it purposely on the world. I think it was accidentally leaked. But when that opportunity came where everyone was fearful, these groups, these global elites, inserted themselves into the equation and they saw themselves as the opportunity, they flatly admitted, to take over and change the world. And so we have to be very cautious. This book is basically has all the tools you need. In the back, we have letters and templates and stories that you can use to convey to your county board, your school board, your governor, to the president of the United States, that you can basically take this and say, we're not going to allow these silly tactics anymore. These are harmful. And I think they're really designed to quell us as a population. They want us under their thumb. Justin, if people want to follow your work online, if they want to get a copy of the book Gone Viral, tell us how, please. Sure. You can go to goneviralbook.com. Goneviralbook.com. You take it right to Amazon to get that. But otherwise, you can find me on uh, Twitter, Justin underscore Hart. Justin Hart, it's a very important book, and I encourage people to read it because it's important information for us to know. Thanks for joining us today on the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Thanks, Rob. That concludes another edition of the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Visit us online at shillingshow.com where you can directly support this podcast by clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page and making a monthly donation. Your support is essential for the continuation of the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Until next time.